Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true God in the springs is great. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Grace be with you all. rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety, the younger children, women as sisters. Support widows who are genuinely widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them publicly in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Hi, Sherry, read that. Am I on? Nope. Just a loud voice. <laughs> I had Sherry read that because, well, you're going to hear me talk for at least 20 minutes. But I just love the sound of her voice when she reads scripture. And I wanted to take one moment because tomorrow this lovely lady has been willing to be married to me for 40 years. <laughs> and as a plug to that, um, mentoring marriage seminar. Um, like Tony, although not nearly as funny, um, Sherry and I have done that as well. And it is, I would encourage you, I could go on and on and I would never get into the text, but here's what I will say about this lovely woman. She insisted that the people that she date go to church. At the time, wasn't doing that. Here I am, 40 years later. So the Lord works miraculously when you keep him in the center of your marriage, and I'll leave it at that for now, and just make sure you show up on January the 10th, sign up in the app. As I began to outline this morning's passage, I kept wondering about the questions that Paul was answering. And as you listen to Sherry read, were you also wondering what exactly is an elder? 
We're going to spend a good bit of time on that this morning, but what exactly is an elder and what makes a good elder, a good leader? What about the following? Why two or three witnesses? Why rebuke elders caught in public sin, sin, sin publicly? Why without favoritism? Why warn against elevating someone to leadership too hastily? I mean, these are all really good questions, and that's not even a complete list in this very short passage. So as short as it is, I've got a lot to say, so let's pray and, and let's dive into it. Father, thank you for having Timothy ask Paul these questions and for Paul writing out his answers so that we have the benefit of them. And I pray, Lord, that the simplicity of the passage, I am able to convey that and that it will help us to understand how to be better servants for you. For I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what Scripture actually says about elders and leadership? What about church governance? Why do we have so many different types of churches? I hope so, because Paul's advice to Timothy in our text provides an opportunity for us to look into those very topics. There are just these two words for church leaders in all the New Testament. Now, some of you are going to look at this and go, really? Well, we'll come up to that. But back in chapter 3, Paul uses the first word that you see here, and it is typically translated bishop or overseer. The second that you see up here is typically translated elder. Now, I didn't put the English words up there for reasons that will become clear shortly, but I also won't bury the lead. The word that Paul uses for elder here in our text always means an older man. Age is the primary distinction between an elder and an overseer, but it's not the only distinction. To use elder makes perfect sense in this particular context because Paul has just dealt with how the body in Ephesus should deal with the widows in Ephesus, and specifically, there were some age-related distinctions as to how they were to, he was to handle that administration. Now, I specifically had Sherry start all the way back in, in, in verse 1 because, I don't expect you to remember it, but it, it, she said, and the older men, the older men, that is one of the occasions where it is not elder, it's older men, it's the word presbyterus. So before going any deeper on overseer and elder, some of you might have asked, well, what about pastor and what about deacon? Well, Poiman was translated pastor only once in the modern English translations, and that would be in Ephesians chapter 11. Jesus is speaking personally. He, uh, Paul is speaking about Jesus. He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, Okay, well, that's typically translated shepherd. That word, that's it, the only occasion for pastor. The other 17 times, it's shepherd, and it mostly refers to Jesus in the Gospels. And shepherds, as you probably know, were never considered leaders. If anything, it's quite the contrary. Shepherds were looked down on by most of culture, and if anything, they were considered more loners than leaders. 
which leaves us with diakonos, which means one who serves or ministers. It appears 29 times in the New Testament. 26 of those, servant. The three that aren't, we get the transliteration deacon. And that happens back in chapter 3. But servants like shepherds were never considered scripturally to be leaders. They were very important, but they weren't leaders. Which leads us with elder and overseer. Should you take the time to research those words, you will find they are very similar. Besides from age difference, they are both leaders and they are ambassadors. And I want to spend a moment on that because ambassadors are very important. But if you know anything about being an ambassador, you know that the ambassador isn't the important one. An ambassador represents somebody. And in the case of Christianity, the ambassador represents Jesus. Jesus is the star. And with one occasion, and it's a perfect occasion, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we have the one occasion where it is translated ambassador. Some of you may be familiar with the verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us, which is exactly what an ambassador does. What's the plead? We are pleading on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Through who? Jesus. So overseers and elders are leaders and ambassadors, but never the main attraction. That would be Jesus, as it should be, which should be pretty obvious. But sadly, visit any churches when you're out and about, and Jesus is not always the focus or the focal point as he should be. And there's more. Overseer is strictly used as a term for a leader, a Christian leader, in the New Testament of any age. Whereas the word elder, on the other hand, first appears in the Gospels, describing the former and current Jewish leadership. You may be familiar with when you hear something like, the chief priests and elders. Well, there it is, elders. That would be that word. And the distinction when it comes to the Sanhedrin between the chief priests and the elders, if you're familiar with any of Judaism, would be that, that the chief priests would be the ones who were Levites. That would be the distinction within the Sanhedrin. It isn't until Acts chapter 11 that we see the word elder referred to as a member of the Christian community. In verse 30 it reads, They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. And the it in this particular case is the relief that was being sent to those that were suffering in Judea. So summing up, elders, overseers are leaders. They're ambassadors for Christ with the elders being older than the overseers. Seems simple enough, you'd think. Then how did we wind up with this? From left to right, I give you Cardinal, Archbishop, Episcopal Reverend, a Right Reverend, a Bishop, a couple of priests, a pastor, by the way, you may see him, and fathers, which are also referred to as priests. And this isn't a comprehensive 
graph. This is what I did in five minutes on Google. Reminds me of something that we covered in BWQ, which was believers with questions, and we all have them. That in all of Scripture, there are just 11,883 unique words in the original manuscripts. 11,883. Now, those of you that are looking up there, there's no surprise. It is remarkable that there is 180,000, it's estimated, in the common English translations, the modern translations, 180,000 words. That's 12 and a half words for every word that's in the original manuscripts. Now, my point here isn't to call into question our translations. That's not my point. Naturally, over the course of 2,000 years, language along with everything else has evolved. Unfortunately, so has complexity and confusion. Einstein famously said at one point, out of clutter, find simplicity. So let's attempt to do that. Our text this morning illustrates how simple and straightforward God's word actually is. Two words. Our context here provides me an opportunity to explain why Grace Church is elder-led and non-denominational. Now, John mentioned Intro to Grace coming up in January. Some of you are new to Grace, and I would highly recommend that you go and participate in that to learn more about who we are, why we are. But this morning, I'm just going to really touch over it just briefly because many of you have been here so long, you've never been to Intro to Grace. <laughs> so you may not actually know fully, and unfortunately, I'm not going to have time for fully, but I'm going to just touch on it for you. Here at Grace, we call our overseers elders. Now, chalk that up more to a preference than to a theo making a theological statement. As for their roles, grace elders set policy, theological guidance, and supervise ministries. And John is our teaching elder. So as you can see from this picture, our elders and their wives we here at Grace make no distinction between elder, staff, and all the rest of us. If you recall that collage from earlier, we differ from those pictured in the clerical garb, collars, robes, etc. Those men were serving in churches that draw a very sharp distinction between the clergy and the rest of us. In short, Grace doesn't fit any particular denominational hierarchy, which partly explains why we are elder-led and non-denominational. So, if you were at all curious about why grace is non-denominational or what else are about, I hope that I have touched on that enough to be helpful and not lend to any additional confusion. But let's, let me think about this now. I've been going on for, what, I don't know, 10 minutes? I'm three words into the text. So, I believe there's a wedding this afternoon, so I better get on with the rest of it. It's not in your text that Sherry read, but Paul is clearly responding to questions that Timothy had that he had to have sent on to Paul for advice. 
Verses 17 and 18, let the elders who rule be uh, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor at preaching and teaching. So if you've got good leaders that work hard at teaching and preaching, pay them. And don't be stingy about it. Those are not my words. What he's doing here is he's quoting, Paul is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 25. He's quoting Jesus in Matthew 10 and himself in the letter to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians chapter 9. Now, to be very clear here, John would never draw attention to this text. He'd probably just fly right over it because it would seem too self-serving. But the simple truth is, is that this is what God had Paul write to Timothy. So moving on. Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the advice of two or three witnesses. Again, here Paul is quoting both Moses, Jesus, and himself. So why two or three witnesses? Because they're effectless immoral, self-serving liars, and sadly, they're even in the church. One is bad enough, but sometimes two of them will conspire. Sadly, sometimes it's three, sometimes even more. What then? Well, God, in his scripture, consistently draws the line at three, It's not in the text, but my speculation on that is if there's more than three of them, it's a mess that only God can clear up. So it's unlikely that the conspiracy would be able to be sorted. Now, that's not Scripture. That's just me just weighing in on that. But the Scripture is always clear. If if you're going to make an accusation about somebody, don't listen to any of it unless you have two or three witnesses. So Paul didn't want... Timothy acting on the claims of an individual, that's good advice for all of us, not just Timothy. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them publicly in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Paul's instructions here, let's be very clear, are not easy or particularly comfortable. You've got an elder, an older individual, probably well-known to everyone, possibly influential, and you've got two or three witnesses that have come forward and made an accusation about a certain sin, as pointed out in verse 19. Paul is making clear to Timothy that just because they're older and potentially influential, Timothy shouldn't cave to any pressures that might be applied to quietly deal with the matter. On the contrary, what Paul says is make it public and without favoritism. Could that be any more countercultural? Seems to me these days the tendency, even inside the church, is to handle these things as discreetly and as quietly as possible. We don't want to have anybody get embarrassed. Now, that seems to me to be very, it might seem to be compassionate and very considerate, but it sounds more like a soundbite than Scripture. Let's be very clear here. Standing with God on matters of holiness, truth, honesty, and sin will never, ever Be popular or easy. 
Standing with God requires a spine and a willingness to not cave to popular sentiment, cultural pressures, no matter how well-intentioned. Even when that sentiment is coming from inside the church, it is the duty of church leadership to see past cultural clutter and lead the church according to what God has written. No matter who the person is, no matter how popular they may be, no matter how influential or not. Which is precisely why Paul completes his advice in verse 22 with do not too quickly be, sorry, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Well, apparently there's, there's been some difficulties with people being elevated too quickly. The previous verses make it pretty obvious why Paul wants Timothy to be very sure someone is suitable to be a leader in the body. It's not a perfect match, but the first passage that came to my mind when I read this was Mark chapter 9. You may be familiar with, I do believe, help my unbelief. That's not the point that I want to make. Because immediately after that, the disciples went up to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we get this Why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus just said, you can't unless it's with prayer. How do you go about discerning if someone is suitable to be a leader in the church? From Genesis to Revelation, God always seems to pick and use the least likely of people to serve him. In the process of selection, prayer is almost always key in Scripture. We can examine someone to see how well they know their Bible. And let's be honest, any of us can cram for an exam, okay? But it takes time to observe if somebody is living it out. Does the walk resemble the talk? There's another reason I enjoy serving here and serving the Lord at Grace Church. And that is that picture that I showed earlier, those men and women those men with their wives, they are praying people. Prayer is the only thing I'm aware of in this life that gives you discernment. You can read Scripture, but reading Scripture isn't like spending time talking with someone. You can read a book about someone, but you you can learn more about them talking with them five minutes over lunch, can you not? It's really interesting to read a bio. It's more interesting to have a conversation with somebody. That's prayer. Demystify it. There's a lot to it. I'm not trying to say it's just only just having a conversation. The magic of prayer, magic is also a poor word, the the wonder of prayer is that when you spend time in God's word, he further reveals himself intimately with you personally so that you can know him better, so that you can live it out better. It takes time. I was saved on October 5th, 1980. October 6th, I wasn't who I am today. Spiritually, positionally, yes, just as saved now as I was then, no different. But a lot of things mean more to me today than they ever did then. That's time. That's reading scripture. That's prayer. Now, 
Our passage concludes with Paul providing Timothy with some interesting advice. It starts at the end of verse 22. Keep yourself pure. Then he inserts seemingly out of the blue this advice concerning how Timothy should tend to his health before returning to his initial thought. Look with me without verse 32, and you'll see what I mean. Keep yourself pure. Some people's sins are obvious, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious. And those that are not obvious can remain hidden. One nice, neat, continuous thought. Now, let's read verse 23. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, the ESV translators even elected to put parentheses around that because it just seems to be dropped in. And that was my initial thought. But after studying and looking at it, what I, I really think what Paul did here is brilliant. I suspect that Ephesus was no different than anywhere I've ever lived in my life, whether it's up north, down south. There are just certain cultural pressures to behave in certain ways. I suspect Timothy, who had had some health issues, was under some pressure or at least thought he was, was, should behave a certain way, and he felt so much that he was only drinking water for his ailing stomach. Now, you really have to admire how Paul just neatly dispatches that by nesting it between keep yourself pure and then tending to your ailing stomach, but don't try to hide it. That's my takeaway. Reminding him that some try to hide their behavior only to be found out eventually. Seems to me Paul is really saying cultural pressures, no matter how well intended, aren't binding if they're not called for in Scripture. If it's not called sin in Scripture, it's not sin. Just because a whole a group of people get together and say, we don't particularly like this. I'd go so far as to say that Paul is also including, because Timothy is younger, it's not there, but just be respectful about it. We've lost all civility here lately, and I don't want to get off on that, but the simple truth is there's a respectful way to just say what God has in Scripture without using Scripture as a baseball bat. So be the same that you are privately, publicly, and vice versa. That's great advice for all of us, not just Timothy. So let me wrap this up. <clears throat> Head, heart, and hands, our elders and pastors, we're just sinners. We're just saved by grace, just like the rest of us. Just the rest of you. Any of you who have made a, a statement of surrender to Jesus are saved by grace exactly the same as anybody here who is an elder or a member of staff. We just have more preaching, maybe teaching, and janitorial responsibilities. <laughs> Be praying for our elders as they lead Grace Church into 2021 and beyond. We have some big decisions coming up as a church body. Some that are going to require some sacrifice, I, can, I promise you. The COVID thing, it is what it is. But if you haven't noticed, we're turning out babies like chiclets. <laughs> 
We need a new G-Kids building, and the elders are going to have to wrestle with that because there's no easy path to it. It's going to cost a lot of money, easily a million, million and a half dollars. That isn't just going to fly out of the sky, that whole part about being non-denominational. That means there's nobody that you call up and say, hey, send us down some money. It's going to come from in this body. It's going to take some sacrifice. The elders need your prayers to discern exactly how we should go about that as a body. Because I can tell you, it doesn't matter what my opinion is, any of our opinions individually, the elders have to come to that conclusion, and then we all have to rally around it as we go forward as a ministry here. So as we begin Christmas week, let's all be mindful of the grace that God extended to us. I think that's the one thing that really sort of seems to go quickly we sort of tend to just sort of get into the rinse and repeat mode of life, and we sort of forget the fact that after you've been saved for 40 years, that God extended an awful lot of grace to me to save me, because I remember me, and I'm difficult now. Can you imagine then? The truth is, the grace that God extended to us is really handy when somebody cuts you off in traffic or that gift that you really want to get for somebody is no longer available at the Walmart. Be gracious. Don't let circumstance rob you of joy. This has been a year for me where I have finally, finally understood that what God, that the freedom, none of us are truly free. God sets us free. Yes, that's true. But we still have to live in a fallen world with broken bodies and with sin. But we have the choice. We can make the choice to be joyful. And if there's anything that distinguishes us from animals, from evil, it's the fact that God implants in us a joy because we can know him. And to not know him is to have a hole inside of you that no matter what you find, no matter what thing you buy, no matter what accomplishment you make in life, you will still have that hole and you won't have that joy. Joy and grace. Be gracious, keep yourself pure, and strive to be joyful. Let's pray. Father, This Christmas week, I thank you that you put it on the hearts of several families to begin Grace Church some 40 years ago. It's almost. And that we're still here and that your lamp still shines brightly on this corner. I'm I'm thankful for the school. I'm thankful for the babies that are showing up and, and for the vibrancy that is here. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to glorify yourself And honor our efforts, for I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.